us for the Tourist Talk Trade podcast, where we discuss timely topics in trade, national security, cybersecurity, and supply chain issues. My name is Olga Torres, and I'm the founder and managing member of Torres Trade Law, an international trade and national security law firm. Today, we're discussing trade with Mexico, one of our top trading partners of, uh, here in the United States. Specifically, we will look at USMCA free trade agreement and recent trends, uh, recent enforcement trends, as well as politics having an impact on trade. We're happy to have Emilio Arteaga as our guest today. Emilio is a partner at a highly re recognized Mexican trade law firm, Vasquez Tercero and Cepeda, VTZ. VTC has offices in Mexico's top cities, including Mexico City, Guadalajara, and Monterrey. Their international trade practices, chambers, and partners ranked, and they have received additional awards by Legal 500 and other prestigious attorney ranking organizations. We're also very proud to have a strategic alliance with VTC through our trade advisory group to facilitate our clients' operations and trade needs in Mexico as, as well as the United States. Welcome, Emilio. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Olga. I'm honored to be here in, in your new podcast. We, we're very excited. We're finding it, um, you know, it's a, it's a good way to bring people that may not necessarily think trade is the most exciting topic. We're bringing them on board and, and having them more um, engaged. So so we're excited. It's a, it's a pilot, you know, series of podcasts, but um, we're getting there. Um, <laughs> So, so really quickly, I'd like to start it by just give us more information about your background, your work, and, and the type of work that you you have been doing recently. Well, Olga, well, as, as you said, we are a, a Mexican law firm, uh, so I'm a lawyer. Uh, I also have, uh, just for a quick academic background, a master in international economic law. I studied in, in, in the Netherlands, in Maastricht, and... Uh, and ever since I graduated, and uh, I've been working in BTC as a trade lawyer. So my experience within the firm, which is perhaps already 10 years or almost 10 years, has been focused on trade remedies. Um, so a lot of litigation, basically? Well, it's a, a sort of litigation with, with, with the, uh, with, before the Ministry of Economy. And I have also been involved in, in NAFTA panels or Chapter 19 NAFTA panels uh, regarding the trade remedies or anti-dumping duties imposed on, on U.S. products. And, and uh, of course, I have been involved in um, domestic litigation of trade remedies as well in, in the Mexican courts. And well advising on tariff and non-tariff barriers in Mexico, uh, licenses to import. Um, I have also been involved in, 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 in litigation of, of trade measures, uh, non-tariff trade measures. So, so it's quite a broad scope sometimes trade. And of course, free trade agreement advisory like USMCA or NAFTA. Got it, yeah. Uh, very, very interesting. Um, so we hear a lot in the U.S., and I'm sure you're hearing the same, um, you know, talks in Mexico about the U.S., you know, changing a little bit of geopolitic, geopolitics, deglobalization, perhaps, um, you know, where 
decoupling from, for example, China. We are dealing with the Russia-Ukraine situation or, or crisis. Um, what are you hearing from Mexico, you know, boots on the ground in, in Mexico in terms of where Mexico is heading? I know I, I, I remember hearing uh, at a conference, I believe, uh, Mexico having at least it was one of the, the countries with the most free trade agreements. I wasn't sure if it was like the one with the most, but you were pretty high up there. So w where is Mexico nowadays in terms of trade? So I think if if some if a country puts a free trade agreement in in mexico's desk mexico will sign so <laughs> uh, i think our reach is about 50 countries uh of course this this is maybe explained in part some mega deals such as with the european union well automatically you have access to to the european union uh and cptpp um so, so of course, those type of agreements help reach uh, a lot of countries. Now, Mexico is um, is open to free trade. There has not been any 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 measures like uh, those of the United States, like sort of trade remedies, which are the Section three hundred one or Section two three two. We don't have that type of of instruments in Mexico. We could argue that maybe Mexico is a bit harsh on China with 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 trade remedies of uh, the traditional trade remedies such as anti-dumping anti duties. Um, and right now I would say that Mexico is 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 discussing uh, formally negotiations with the UK as a result of Brexit uh, bilaterally and uh, multilaterally or regionally with with CPTPP and in and with Korea, South Korea as well. Uh, there has been talks uh, or there's gonna they're gonna start negotiations. So Mexico continues to be open. Uh, the question with China is gonna be interesting in CPTPP because China has formally asked for accession. So. Uh, we still haven't heard news about what's going to happen in CPTPP. So uh, I think that's basically what's happening in Mexico and no sanctions against Russia So and Belarus. No sanctions at all. Okay, and I have a lot of questions, so I'm writing them down so that I don't forget. Um, with respect to China, you mentioned, um, I mentioned in, in the U.S. where, where the coupling from China um, and also the U.S., and I'm sure you're following, especially coming election time, I'm sure we're going to start hearing it again. Trade became a little bit of a polarizing um, situation where, um, you know, we started seeing some of these populist trends and, and, and um, in, in a way, it, I feel like Mexico may be more open to trade than even in the U.S. or at least domestic, domestic politics anyway. Uh, trade is not this war that can get parties um, too excited either way, you know. Um, so in terms of China and, and some of the, the the most recent posture by the U.S. and you mentioned Section 301, um, is, do you think Mexico can seize an opportunity if the U.S. is sort of turning away from China in a way, right? I mean, China is still our, our largest trading partner, uh, Mexico right after 
Um, and I think it depends also on what figures, imports versus exports, but they're they're both pretty high up. Um, is that does that present an opportunity for Mexico? And and what do you think um, Mexico is or should be doing to to seize that opportunity? I I think it definitely is an opportunity for Mexico to attract uh, more business with China. For instance, what you say, China is U.S. major trading partner, and I think China is major trading partner with every country in the world, yeah. including Mexico. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. So, I, so yeah. China is also uh, one of Mexico's major trading partners. Right now, I believe the U.S. is Mexico's top trading partner due to the exports and imports. Uh, but we have a huge deficit with 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 China, and another like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. And another and another point to consider here is that unlike the relationship with the United States, where there is a lot of foreign investment from the United States, we have very few in foreign investment from China. So this situation has been discussed uh, as an opportunity to have more investment, more manufacturing plants coming from China to Mexico. And Okay, and, your, your answer is actually really, really interesting to me because where I was going with my question, that this is actually quite interesting. My question was asking, how does Mexico position itself so that if if we are decoupling from China, Mexico is in a way doing more business with the US. But your answer, and correct me if I'm wrong, your answer is we are seeing that as an opportunity to potentially do more business with China or potentially receive more foreign investment from China rather than per se the US, right? Yes, it's, 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 I, I think that's the answer and it has to do with, with the uh, regionalization or the nearshoring of, of, of business. Now, not all business in China is Chinese. There is foreign investment in China. So maybe European firms, Japanese firms, Koreans that are in China see this issue of this trade war, this conflict between the U.S. as an opportunity to change where they have their manufacturing plants or, or their supply chain and, and, and this is one of the things that has been discussed in international forums about nearshoring uh, the, the, the value chains uh, or the regionalization of the value chains, which is something that, that the President Biden wants to do as well in certain strategic uh, uh, supply chains. And this is an opportunity, but the question is here, Olga, is Mexico taking advantage of this opportunity it's hard to say right now, and and because COVID came in during the, the 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 trade war, and and it's difficult to say if there has been a substantial amount of investment of China. I don't think Mexico, with the foreign investment statistics, has been receiving investment or a substantial amount of investment from China. But I have seen in 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 media about new projects entailing China uh, or Chinese investment. Uh, there has been sometimes some interest of Chinese firms of, of establishing in Mexico. 
and and this is has to do of course with the trade measures adopted by by the u.s yeah and, and and that is interesting that you you say that here in the u.s for example investment from china is highly regulated um meaning any kind of any foreign investment any any investors of chinese nationality uh even if they're in a different country uh those are more you know they're scrutinized by by the u.s government uh to the extent that we've heard unofficially for example where um other countries where chinese investment is very high let's say canada um, in a way, we also review those very carefully because we understand that there could be Chinese money coming in uh, through those routes. So that would be interesting if Mexico, because I did notice, uh, you know, over the years when we're we're following this, Chinese investment in Latin America has been uh, very high. I mean, I'm thinking Brazil and Argentina and, and some of the South American countries. And and I wonder why actually I wonder why there has been more Chinese investment in the, in that region versus, for example, Mexico. Any ideas there? Yes, I, I think uh, in great in great deal. Uh, for instance, Brazil is part of BRICS or or this group of countries, so that that may help politically. But I think Chinese investment has to do in in these countries with natural resources. resources so we're talking about uh minerals we're talking about perhaps uh some forestry products uh we're talking about maybe even agricultural uh supplies because brazil supplies some agricultural products to 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 china so an infrastructure maybe energy so mm -hmm. these are the why uh these are the main sectors that China, I believe, has targeted uh, Latin American countries. Now, Mexico has not been quite friendly with Chinese investment. That's what I've That's, remembered in the past. Yes. Just trade with China generally. It was trade, not friendly. But non-investment. There was, and, and, and Chinese uh, investors are quite careful about the politics. And and there was a decision in the last in the last administration that canceled immediately a train project with for, without a lot of notice, and there was Chinese investment. So and there was another Chinese project that was also canceled of the, through the Ministry of Environment. So that has also created a wrong or a perception or a or better said a perception uh, that Mexico is hostile against. Chinese investment, but now the the discourse of 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 the government is ha open, uh, having investment from Asia. So that has, I think, it, the 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 rhetoric, the discussion, is opening Mexico to China and to Asian Asian economies. Do you think that the, it could change based on on political parties? So I know when does Mexico have elections next? I know here, you know, between parties, we go one way and we go to the other, you know, opposites. Um, do you think that would change with a new president, for example, or is that it's not it's not as subject or as um, subject to change with with different administrations? 
Well, it's it's a great question, and it's a great question, Olga. I really don't. And it's uh, okay if you don't know. <laughs> we yeah. can, we, we, I mean, the the government in party is a left wing uh, right. government, so sometimes, or or there could be like a common ground with China because they are socialist or or socially minded, and but I do think that in the end, that. What may cause issue or conflict is the is the industrial uh, companies or or the companies within the industrial sector. Those are who may trigger whether Chinese investment or may create this conflict with Chinese investment. Up to, to this date, there has not been any major criticism against Chinese investment because we barely have Chinese investment. Right. What will happen in the future? Well, well, I think first we have to know if we're going to have Chinese investment or not to know if there's going to be any sort of reaction. So um, I think that it does have an impact. I mean, if the government is actively curting, you know, going after the, the investors, right? I mean, versus we're not too interested. Well, th this is an, a major issue in our point of view, because Mexico has decoupled uh, one of the foreign investment and trade promotion agency. They no longer exists. I so, heard that, yes, ProMexico. Uh, so ProMexico was this agency that made this and it no longer is, exists. And it's the embassies now in charge of the promotion. So these sort of actions may have cur created hurdles for foreign companies, not only in China, in all the world to seek Council of how the first steps to get in into Mexico, and and this might have had an effect in in the foreign investment policy attraction. Hmm. Interesting. Um, okay, so you know Mexico. What I'm hearing is wide open for foreign investment, free trade. Um, you, you mentioned like over 50 countries. If we look at all the foreign trade agreements that the Mexico has. Uh, not as um, politically polarizing to to say we're going to do another free trade agreement as much as it is here anyway. Um, and when I ask the question, are are you seeking investment or how, how are you positioning the country to lure more Americans? The answer I got was basically we're interested in Chinese investment um, in, a, in a nutshell. That's kind of what I heard, which is really interesting. Uh, so, so, so where do we go? Uh, USMCA was implemented two years ago, um, and we have seen, you know, NAFTA 2.0. There were various changes, some of them very technical. Um, a lot of what we have been seeing lately, or the questions that we're getting, or some of the concerns that we're getting, are related to. And this is just in general in the U.S. I mean, USMCA has strong labor provisions. They have the rapid response mechanism. And we will have in our screen, we have the USMCA Coordination Center, so you can go visit for very detailed information on USMCA, what changed, uh, and guidance that was issued by the US government. Um, but just higher level, what, what are the concerns that you're seeing in Mexico, at, at least from Mexican companies or companies in Mexico that are owned by 
U.S. companies or Canadian companies um, regarding USMCA's rapid response mechanism? Um, well, I think, first of all, the, the issue of the rapid response mechanism has to do with the compliance of the new labor uh, system that was implemented as a result of, of, of USMCA. Uh, we are seeing now uh, at four rapid response requests of the US, US, USA as of, as of today. And, you know, and two years, right? So it, it's not a, it's not a very high number. I mean, we, I, I, you start seeing some trends in terms of okay, they, they are coming in, but it's not a very high number. I want, I mean, obviously, COVID must have had an impact. Um, but anyway, I interrupted. Continue. Yeah, no, but but it it makes sense. And the rapid response mechanism we have to remember, Olga, only applies to certain industries. So. We are talking, I think we're talking about six or eight, something like that. And we could- But they were not exclusive. I, th I think they said that these are just examples and we can include more as needed, right? I mean, but that's what I remember. I, th I think it, it was like that. But the point here in the <laughs> end is that it's the manufacturing industry that was greatly like pulled into the, uh, into this pool of, of, facilities that could be subject to to the uh, to the uh, rapid response mechanism. All companies have to comply with the labor chapter, but we're talking about exclusively the, the rapid response mechanism. And what we are seeing right now is that the USTR or the or the International Labor Commission that was created of USMCA is is the they're focusing or they're receiving, better said, they're receiving complaints of automotive facilities. I think all of the four companies are automotive or, um, or part of the, of, the, of the supply chain. So we are, and, and I believe three are in the north and one is in the Bajillo, which is like in the center of, of the country. So, but what catches my attention is that they're automotive industry um, and and we could say that there's been four requests but really there has been three in which Mexico has agreed to to be subject or to review because one of them de dealt with matters before USMCA entered into force so Mexico mm -hmm. did not agree to review because they said well this is before that that was more like technical. Uh -huh, technical. very technical. <laughs> and, and and the company did uh did the company was like proof. Yeah, <laughs> did engage the company did engage with the USTR and did imp like kind of this is a state to state mechanism, so it kind of shifted because of this technical issue between a, the company and the US government, and Mexico did was not involved. So, or was not directly involved. So, uh, I I do think that that automotive industry has to be very careful, or the supply of or those that are in the supply chain of automotive yeah. yes have to be uh, very are, careful. Are you? Um, and and this is very interesting because again we're trade lawyers, and I remember we we actually did a lot of webinars back in the day, like right 
before implementation and a lot of them were focused on this very same mechanism because it was so unique and novel. Um, it, it, but I mean, at the end of the day, we're not labor labor lawyers, right? And definitely not labor lawyer in Mexico. So, so what what are the some of the uh, high level recommendations that that you are giving uh, companies in terms of looking at their labor laws from a Mexico point of view? Well, have, be in touch with a labor lawyer who, who <laughs> the 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 compliance of of the new reality of of the of the collective or the union the collective bargain agreements and unions not interfering in the life of 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 the of the unions and then we have to be very careful uh companies have to be very careful of not not intervening but also taking maybe measures to safeguard these rights because for instance the case of of General Motors in Silao. The the case arise because the elections of, of the I believe maybe of the union or of or the collective bargaining agreement were um, interrupted. There was a conflict between the workers and the union. So the vote had to be suspended. So technically speaking the company did not do nothing, or it appears that the company did not do nothing directly. But could the company have done more? Could the company put security in place to avoid any possible uh, uh, violence that could arise? I think that because the, the rapid response mechanism does not entail necessarily the, the, the responsibility or direct actions of the company, it could be the government as well. But if the company does not take into place actions that could safeguard the rights of the workers, if there is a panel in within the rapid response mechanism, maybe the panel would say, well, the company could have done more. And I think that could be important of not only trying to meet the, the, the minimum standard, but take additional steps and i think this is something where labor lawyers and maybe trade lawyers could shoot out ideas because we have to think that this is not only labor but it's labor and trade yeah agreed um and in terms of just general enforcement of by the mexican authorities are you seeing more more i'm thinking um verification of origin type cases um that's a great question. Uh, it is difficult to say today because I have, by the way, Olga, I have requested an information access request to keep me updated about how many origin verifications have been launched by by the the customs authorities. Um, Very interesting. I I have I have done that in the past, uh, and it's not a huge number. Uh, the origin verifications. But but what what I would like to highlight here is that companies that do not have good lawyers, so to speak, or do not comply with with the with the uh, with the verification, it's very difficult to reverse the decision. Right. It's it's if you do not have a successful origin verification, challenge, challenging this is a very complicated and lengthy task because now the courts 
are asking for, for, um, for instance, if you have to go to court, you have to present an official translation of all your documents that you supported for, for your, for your, for your, uh, as, as evidence. So right. it's a lot of money because maybe you're even presenting accounting records, invoices, which shouldn't be translated. The whole trail, the whole. Um, so I remember in the past when we were doing some, um, I want to say it was NAFTA verifications, and um, I remember Mexican customs had, at that time they were sending, um, you know, basically like the letters, and they, they would send them in Spanish. I don't, I don't remember seeing a translation. And they would send them sometimes to American companies, and sometimes they would get lost, like it would go to the wrong department. Like these are really large companies. And they had really strict deadlines. I want to say, you know, 30 days to respond. And people are like receiving this document in Spanish and they're like, ah, I don't know what this is, right? And eventually somebody would see it and translate it. And they were like, we have two days to reply to Mexican <laughs> customs. Um, is that, are you seeing some of that? I know that you said, you know, based on the response you got, there's not a ton of enforcement. I also want to say same here. And I think part of it is also probably COVID. Um, but are, are you seeing some of those um, cases, you know, where Mexican Customs is contacting the, the U.S. companies uh, direct in the U.S.? Yes, yes, uh, we, we are. Well, this this thing of the courts, we, that's because we are, we have been involved in several. One, one that we have just filed like a, a constitutional remedy. But right now, um, fortunately, at least they send the translation. So oh, nice. there is, there is, there is um, how would you say, a courtesy translation for the company. That's very good. <laughs> uh, COVID, for instance, in a CPTPP uh, verification, did create some problems because the, the company did not have personnel. Like so, receiving mail. And, so, yeah. and there's short deadlines as well. So uh, that, that was a problem. Uh, and Actually, let me ask you this. What, was Mexican Customs working from home? Because here in the U.S., so many government agencies, and even today, I think slowly but surely they're going back, but there were so many different types of submissions that we would send in, and for a while we were like, did they get it? <laughs> um, so well, there was, there was a decree in, in, in Mexico regarding this COVID, and and tax matters were considered as a national security or a essential activity. So I don't think that customs uh, officials were working on home. Maybe some of them did, that there were shifts and so to speak, but officially, legally, or they customs was an essential activity and maybe they couldn't go to their homes. So uh, that's one 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 aspect. And um, USMCA, I, I have not yet been involved in an origin ver verification under USMC USMCA, but maybe there's not a tons of origin verification. But I do think, and I'm I'm convinced that that customs know where to ask. So they have intelligence. So they know where sometimes companies may not meet because of the supplies in the region and so to speak, or because sometimes there's 
industries that go with custom agents and say this is happening we don't think it's it could be possible and and uh this is why it's very selective because it's it's a it's it's something that it's complex and 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 customs mexican customs is very intrusive it yeah well yeah I, well i think all of the authorities in every country i would think uh, are very intrusive but um one time i heard and correct correct me if i'm wrong at some point i had heard that mexico had the largest uh, audit team in terms of fda verifications in the world is that have you ever heard that I, I, I was not aware. I was not aware about that. I, I think it was by headcount. Um, I, I need to, I, I don't remember where I got that information from, but that, I, that stuck with me for years. So I wanted to verify with you. <laughs> it, it is. It, I mean, we have, I mean, there has been, by the way, a recent change in customs in Mexico. So now we have a new customs agency. And it's called the National Agency Customs Agency of Mexico. If, in case, in case you were doubting wondering. what national means, uh, <laughs> in case you were wondering what country. Uh, that's uh -huh. And uh, so now we have another customs authority who is in charge of the customs stations and some uh, and overseeing uh, customs compliance and some and some other like customs decisions, perhaps tariff classification and and something like that. And we still have the tax authority, which is the famous SAT or SAT. Uh -huh. And SAT has this department of audit, which is uh, the, the, it's the audit of international trade. And it's AGASE, like that's the small name or the acronym of this authority. This authority still exists. And Mexico, I don't know, maybe we're no longer the biggest audit team because Mexico has adopted some austerity measures whatever that means, and, and, and this could have an impact on the personnel of the authorities, and there have been changes in salaries because of the new government. So this could have had an impact on the, on the number of personnel. Mm, interesting. And I, know I got our flag of, you know, you have five minutes. Or <laughs> uh, Really quickly, just to close it out, in terms of Conducting business in Mexico, I know we have, um, you know, you mentioned right now Mexico has a government that it's more leaning towards the left. Um, in theory. <laughs> yes. Uh, for people that are not following Mexican politics very closely, uh, when is the when is the next election cycle? Um, and I know you're not, I mean, we understand that you're a trade lawyer, um, but you know, are there any, who's, do you have any idea who's running and where things could go and whether that will have an impact on trade and specifically relationship, the relationship that Mexico has with the U.S.? And I mentioned very specifically, and I don't want to get too political, but I did notice last week AMLO and AMLO, um, yeah. uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador, Mexi the Mexican president, um, didn't decline the invitation to participate in the Summit of the Americas and that, that made some noise um, and, 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 you know, what that means and where could Mexico go after a, a new election? Because the, the next election is, what, two years from now? Um, yes, it's it would be in June 2024. Um, so who, who are who are the dolphins, as we would say in, 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 in Mexico? Uh, 
it's really right now too early to tell, but there are several uh, individuals from the from the party that's in in power of AMLO. Uh, we have the foreign affairs minister, we have the the governor of the Mexico City, and other people. But I think those two are the the strongest, perhaps. Um, and and from the other side, from the uh, the the other political parties, uh, the there is a strong. Um, it's difficult to tell who could be. <laughs> yeah, it's too, it's too early. It, like if you ask not, me here, I will be. I, I have no clue. You know, and, uh, what's going to happen in two years? There were some elections. There were some state elections, and uh, of six states, and. Four were won by the this party Morena of, of of AMLO, and the other two were 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 retained by these political forces that joined forces. So it it really seems that the left, this Morena left wing party, in theory left because they adopt any type of of policies, uh, mm. may may win again the election. Really. Uh, mm. So, so, but uh, maybe, maybe, maybe this is too early to tell. Maybe, maybe the the economic. We're disclaiming we we're just trade lawyers, <laughs> but we're trying to make you know what are people saying and, and hearing, uh, and how can that impact trade? And, and I don't think it would be wise for for the Mexico for Mexico economically to have a hostile approach on trade against any country, and especially with the U.S. Yeah, as I said. U.S. is Me Mexico's major trading partner right now, and Mexico has a, the U.S. is top uh, FDI foreign direct investment inflow. So, so it's it's it would be shooting ourselves in our own foot if we want to want to uh, have some conflict with with the U.S. Um, but we are having some conflicts, Olga. Energy. <laughs> so, so. This, for instance, we we I, I mentioned that that uh, Mexico has uh, is open to foreign investment, but perhaps not on energy. So these sort of matters, these sort of matters can bring uh, uh, a wave of consequences against in the Mexican and the U.S. policy. And we're seeing it uh, not only in the regional context because this is the the summit of Americas. But we're gonna maybe see it in in the near future bilat in a bilateral context be context because this energy issue is a serious issue taken by the USTR. Right, mm -hmm. and we're following it as well. And that may be a good podcast actually if we want to get into details. Well, thank you so much, Emilio, for joining today. Uh, thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll bring you more of Taurus Talk Trade uh, in the next episode. Thank you.